You had a breakup and therefore you didn't get to the altar the way that you thought you were going to. Sometimes in considering what could have been, we often feel so much sadness because you think that, oh, I'm missing something. But along that way, did you meet somebody else who's actually the love of your life? Or did you meet yourself? <sighs> Girl. <laughs> exactly. I got introduced to you through Instagram, and there was just something about your spirit that captivated me. And obviously going through your resume, mm -hmm. you were the CMO at Netflix, CMO at Endeavor, Chief Brand Officer at Uber, had marketing at Apple and iTunes. <laughs> My head is spinning. I don't even right. know how you managed to do all of that. But that was what intrigued me, but what kept me on your profile and just wanting to learn more about you is your, just like your spark. Mm. You have such a strong energy that gets through the screen. And uh, when I picked up The Urgent Life that you wrote, this was yes. released last year. Yes, almost a year ago. Wow. When yeah. I picked this up, I can't even tell you, look, I have all this marks. I have all the questions. I... I got like all the answers that I needed to understand why I was so drawn to you. Mm. It really captivated me. Um, although we have different life experiences, mm. the lessons here really took me on my own journey. So I want to open up with the first thing that I marked when I started reading the book. Okay. Your greatest console is your voice within. Some people say it's your spirit talking or your gut or your intuition Whatever you call that murmuring, it can quiet everyone around you and allow you to tap into your truth. What is that voice for you? I think for everyone, the voice or your intuition, your gut, the vibes, you know, whatever you want to call it is different. You know, so it's hard to answer the question in a broad sense, right? But mine is basically like I can, I could just feel things. You know, I mm. feel when someone isn't telling me the truth. It's a physical thing. It's a physical thing. Like I can feel it on my body. When was when was the first time you felt it? Oh, I think I've probably felt it my whole life. But the truth, and we all have, by the way, I'm not even just a unique being in that. I think we all have the intuition. We all have the vibes. It's just that we ignore it. You know, we pretend as if it's not important, doesn't matter. Math is more important. Logic is more important. Asking somebody else's opinion is more important than what you're actually feeling. And so it wasn't until much later in life where I started to feel like, oh, no, you know what? Other people don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> they just, they don't know what they're talking about. Like when it comes to my life, they don't, mm. they have no idea. They can love me. They can want the best for me. They can have had a similar situation, mm. but they are not in this present time, in this present moment in my shoes. They are not. And so how are they going to tell me how to do it? Like, how do they know the results are going to be good? And for me, that's what unlocked the idea of my intuition, my own counsel, the mm -hmm. way that I look at the world. If, you know, somebody says, oh, you know, you should know this person. You should do business with this person. And I meet that person and that person gives me the heebie-jeebies, the not so good vibes. I can feel that this is not a great thing. Oh, man, I'm telling you, I, I'm, I'm a quick no. And that's a hard thing to do because a lot of times what happens is people are like, oh, don't worry about it. That person is so successful or they are so powerful. They're going to introduce you to this and they're going to help you do that and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what? If you're having bad vibes about the person, truth of the matter is that it's probably not going to turn out good for you. Mm -hmm. So why not listen to your own intuition? Nobody knows where you're supposed to be but you. 
I just think it's so difficult to really trust it because yes. to your point, there's so much in our environment that yeah. tells us to not have that kind of self-governance and that self-trust. So yeah. did you have an experience that comes up to you from your childhood or whenever mm. you experienced it where you're just like, this is the moment to really trust yeah. that? I don't know if there was an epiphany moment, but what I know is that it's gotten stronger over years. You know, but just like any muscle or any relationship mm -hmm. that you have, your relationship with self becomes stronger the more you trust yourself. You know, so it's like anything. I've given this example a million times where it's like, look, if you and I are best friends, okay, and I call you, I'm like, Valerie, I need X, Y, and Z thing, right? I need to understand where... Um, maybe like, should I take this job? Should I like wear this color? Should I eat this food? And you give me advice. And every time you give it to me, I decline. Mm -hmm. I go do the opposite thing from what you told me. The next time I come ask you, you're going to be like, I'm not telling you. Right. You know, like forget it. Or maybe it's like every time I ask you something, you give me some good advice and I take it. Regardless of how I'm feeling about it, regardless of what everybody else says. Everybody's like, don't listen to her. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Mm -hmm. And I do the thing that you said, I'm like, oh, she does know what she's talking about. And the next time I come to you, you'll be even stronger. You'll be even louder. That's what my intuition feels like to me. So like at this point, I don't need to ask people their opinion on what is going on in my life because my intuition is so loud. It's mm -hmm. so forceful that I trust it more than I trust anything. I trust it more than I trust my own eyes. I have a long way to go. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> but it's it's um, encouraging to hear that you can get there. Mm -hmm. um, and it's amazing to me that you recognize it at an early age, especially because you come from, from what I understood from your book, it was a pretty strict household. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you grew up in Ghana? Well, I grew up in a lot of places, but mm -hmm. for the most part, my childhood was made up of Ghana, Nairobi, Kenya, Washington, D.C., Pasadena, California. Mm -hmm. Lots of places. Uh, and then ended up in Colorado Springs, Colorado when I was 12. So I feel like coming from a strict and traditional household, I think that's even harder to find that connection to the self because oh, yeah. there's more rules to follow. There's more kind of steps to take. Yeah. That's why it, I'm asking the question of like, how? Yeah, yeah. Well, you're right that um, when you are a rule follower, and mm -hmm. by the way, there's nothing wrong with that, our entire existence is made up of following rules. From the moment you go to kindergarten or pre-K, mm -hmm. somebody tells you when to nap, when to have the snack, how to line up the alphabet, what color to use when you draw. Like, everything is told to you on how to do it. Our whole educational system is meant to direct you in a certain way to do things. And sometimes, you know, like this is where I think it's just wild. Like even how we are educated, it's like, when you do a math problem and your teacher says, oh my gosh, you got the answer wrong, they want to see how you arrived at the answer. And sometimes you can win some points back, even if the answer is wrong, by mm -hmm. showing the fact that you understood how to get there. You know, I remember once taking a, a test, math test, which I happen to be pretty good at math. I know I'm a creative now, but, you know, did well in the math and sciences. And um, I didn't show any of my work. I just wrote all the answers down. You know, I did all the work up here and just wrote the answers. And my teacher failed me. I remember going mm -hmm. home and look, my, like you said, I grew up in a very strict household. My parents do not take academia lightly. And they were pretty upset. And when I said to my dad, but all the answers are right. I don't know why 
I failed. Like, why did I get an F? So he went to talk to the teacher. The teacher said, oh, because she didn't show her work. And he said, well, what does it matter if she had all the answers right? But the teacher wanted to see my work. Those are rules that you follow mm-hmm. throughout your life. Like, let me see how you arrived at this thing. Like, you can't just magically appear. Yeah. You have to follow the rules and already get there. And so what happens when we say no? What happens when we say, well, I already know the answer. I don't need to follow the rules in order to get... That's a very difficult thing to do. And so what I'm advocating is that perhaps sometimes you need to figure out how to break those rules. Sometimes you need to not obey every single step. I'm not saying cause harm. Nobody said cause harm to anybody. Mm -hmm. But how do you change the way that you're looking at the world, the way you're looking at your life, so that you're actually living the life you're supposed to? What if all of the rules that have been given to you were actually incorrect for your life. It's like being allergic to something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if you eat a particular food and they're like, oh, it's, so, it's supposed to be healthy for you. But yeah, you break out in hives every time you eat it. But yet your nutritionist is like, oh no, this is good for you. Everything you see on TikTok and Instagram says, ah, this is the healthiest thing to do. But it's not right for you. So what if that applies to the rules of your life? What if somebody has made a plan for you that is supposed to be good for you, supposed to be healthy for you. It's supposed to become successful, but it's not right for you. How does that person know? They don't. They're just working on what they understand of the world. They are not working on what works for you. They're not Mm -hmm. understanding what's right for your future. And so I'm saying, pay attention to your body. Pay attention to your spirit. If you break out in hives, get out. Stop doing the thing that you're doing. Yeah. Instead of trying to obey what somebody else tells you. Asking the why is a great start. Yeah, exactly. And I just, that's what I'm doing. I'm just living my life trying not to b- break out in hives. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great way of living. Yeah. I'm going to adopt that. <laughs> so going back to that voice that you've discovered from an early age, reading this book, it really shows how it helped you navigate a lot of experience that you had. You've mm-hmm. suffered some great losses and, mm-hmm. and grief from um, a boyfriend that you lost to suicide, yeah. um, to your daughter, Eve, and mm-hmm. your husband, Peter. And did you f- feel that that voice was showing up for you throughout that journey? Mm. You know, that's a really tough question because um, it's like, you know, the voice or the intuition showed up for me and how to work through my grief, I guess, is maybe the best way to say it. Mm. You know, that again, I think it's like grief is one of those things that people want to give you advice on how to do it. It's the strangest thing. It's very strange behavior. You know, I remember when um, Peter, my husband, was in the hospital and we received his terminal diagnosis. And one of the nurse attendants, you know, I was looking I'm sure I looked like a train had run over me. You know, I'm I'm sure I just looked like I needed some advice. Mm. And she said, take it one day at a time. And it pissed me off, you know, because I said, do you you understand what our days look like? You understand that our days are limited? You understand that I have a four-year-old who won't know her father? Like, what are you even talking about? You know, the idea that somebody else is going to tell you how to deal with your grief is absurd. And so that's why I feel so passionately that in our lives, we have to understand what works for us. So Mm -hmm. even after Peter died and three months later, I'm on a plane moving from New York to LA to try a new job. And everybody thought I was having some sort of mental break. You know, it's like, everybody was like, don't do this. No, no, no. It's not the time to change your life. It was absolutely the right time to change my life. 
I needed to find something else in the future to help me feel alive, to help me feel like I needed to accomplish something. It was not the time for me to stay still. I promise you, I know for a fact, if I had stayed in New York, stayed mm-hmm. in the same job, stayed in the same apartment, I would not be living today. I know that for sure. I needed to move. And so everybody else who was saying, oh, no, take it easy. You've just suffered so much grief. Like, don't move. They were talking out of their own experience, but that experience was not for me. And so intuition plays a role in how you also react to life. Because other people are giving you advice based on their own experiences. And yes, they love you. Yes, they want the best for you. I don't think anyone who was telling me to sit still wanted me to die. Nobody did. Mm -hmm. They wanted me to be better. They wanted me to heal. But they didn't understand that healing for me meant that I had to get active. Healing for me meant that I need to find something else to drive my passion. Healing for me meant that I needed to make an extreme change in my life and for for the life of my daughter in order for us to find happiness and joy and purpose, that the things I was doing was not going to get me there. And what a miracle, because now people look back at that time in life. You know, it's been 10 years and people look at my career, they look at my life and they're just like, how did you do it? The last decade has been miraculous. And I sit back and I think, I'm like, man, if I had listened to what you said, you wouldn't be saying this right now. Oh my God. It's amazing to acknowledge the power of that one decision to listen to your intuition, yes. the change, the trajectory yes. of your life. Yes. And you know what? I know it's scary. Mm. I'm not pretending as if breaking this cycle of listening to your best friend or your mom or your partner or your priest. I'm not pretending as if that's easy to stop doing. Yeah. I'm just asking you to consider the fact that your future self, your destiny, knows more than any of those people combined. And so what if you were able to connect with that future? What if you were able to connect with that future self? That's what your intuition is doing. It's a bridge to that. And so if your future self is like, whoop, Bose, don't stay in New York. You better get on that plane. <laughs> and I'm listening. Mm-hmm. And it's the same way I feel today about 80-year-old me. You see her. She's talking to you. Oh, She's absolutely. navigating your life right now. Constantly. Oh, man. That crotchety old woman is talking to me all the time. <laughs> and she's, she's got a bad attitude. <laughs> But it's true. I feel I I imagine that person all of the time, Mm. you know, when something is going on and I have to make a tough decision or I have to go a different direction than other people are telling me to go. I think about what she's thinking and her looking backwards and saying, "Ooh, (laughs) don't do that. Don't go there. You know, because she knows better. Yeah. It's a tricky thing with asking for advice because I feel like I went through this process a couple of years ago where mm-hmm. I've realized that I need to qualify the people I asked for advice, mm. right? I can't go to my mother and ask her about 
a professional question because right, she doesn't yeah. have the experience for it or I don't go right. to a friend who doesn't have some other experience. So to me, I kind of reached that point where mm-hmm. now I qualify the people I ask advice for. Mm-hmm. But the next step is this. Yes. The next step is... Yes. The next step is not asking anyone. Going back to myself. Yeah, exactly. The next step is not asking your husband. Ooh. <laughs> That's going to be a fun dynamic yeah, change. I'm telling you. Well, the thing is that, you know, here's, here's like maybe how I also better explain it, which is that um, it's not as if I don't talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, that's yeah, not I the wanted point. you to specify It's, like, it's that, not as yeah. if I, it, like, look, my best friends know more about me than everyone, right? Mm-hmm. One of my best friends wrote my resignation letter for Uber because I was unable to do it. I was in such a terrible mental state. She wrote it for me. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's not as if I'm not asking for help. That they're two separate things. What I'm asking of you is to pay attention when you have to make a decision for your life on whether you go left or you go right. Whether you engage with this person or that person, Mm -hmm. whether you go forward in your career or you switch careers. I'm saying, listen to yourself in those instances. But yes, when I am having a hard time with something and I'm like, hmm, does this sound okay? And my friend is like, ooh, that sounds really harsh. (laughs) I don't know if that's what you want to say. I eat my resignation letter. You know, she's just like, you know what? I'm going to write it for you. Mm -hmm. The difference is I didn't ask her whether or not I should resign. You made a decision. I made a decision to resign. And then you asked for the help. I needed the help to write Mm -hmm. the resignation letter because I could not do it because I was being crazy. (laughs) And I probably would have ended up in the press for some other news. You know what I mean? And so she needed to do that for me. Yeah. And so my point again is that I realize it's a gray area. And sometimes, you know, you're not going to get it 100% right all the time. You mm-hmm. might ask for some advice that clearly is not what you needed. And believe me, that still happens to me now where I realize that either I got some unsolicited advice because I made it appear as if I needed it. Mm-hmm. And then I got it and I'm like, oh no, here they go. You know? But the truth of the matter is that I do think... Everyone in your life who cares about you plays a role, of course. Yeah. But how are you deciding on important things in your life that they cannot advise you on because they haven't been there before? I think it's also so powerful and continues to fuel that um, that power in yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Knowing that even when you made the wrong decision, it was your decision. Correct. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. But that's the thing is that now this is going to sound so frou-frou and ridiculous, I realize. but I believe just Yeah. But I'm like, I realize that it can sound corny to say that there are no wrong decisions, but there really are not. Mm. There really are not. You know, it's like I think about this film all the time. I think it came out in like 1998 or 1999. I'm not quite sure. It starred Gwyneth Paltrow. It's called Sliding Doors. <gasps> Do you know that film? Yes. Oh I referenced God. it in another conversation Did that you? I had that long ago. I yeah. love that film. Yeah. I love it so much because mm-hmm. it's like, I think it was maybe, I don't remember when I saw it. It was definitely after it had already been out of theaters or whatnot. But, you know, the concept that, you know, you take one train and you have a different destiny than when you take this other train or you make Mm -hmm. a decision and it changes the course of your life. I realize that it sounds so heavy. It sounds like, oh my gosh, like maybe I'm not even going to move because I'm afraid that if I make this decision, it'll totally change the direction of my life. But I feel the same way about mistakes. Yeah. Where I'm like, look, if I hadn't made that mistake, I would have gone this direction. I wouldn't have stopped in my tracks. Mm-hmm. And maybe I needed to stop in my tracks in order to go the right way. 
maybe that's the purpose. And so again, like I don't look at life in this like big impossible way. I feel like there's no wrong answers in my life. It's all just opportunities. Correct. There are no wrong answers. There's no mistakes. They're just delayed opportunities. And perhaps the mistakes that I've made have stopped me from going in the wrong direction. That it was like I was supposed to take a left. I took a right. It led me to a dead end. But guess what? I missed that big collision that was mm -hmm. going to take me off path totally. And so now I just retraced my steps and then went about that way. And I'm so much better. I'm still going on the right path. It's just that the right turn ended up being a dead end, and that's okay. Yeah, and you arrived a couple of minutes later. Correct, and it's, it's fine. So good. It's totally okay. Fashionably late. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I want to go back to um, talking about grief mm -hmm. because I loved what you said where people were seeing that you are in pain and uh, trying to help you navigate that grief because grief is a really complex thing. Yeah. So we, I'm taking you back to when your uh, boyfriend committed suicide mm -hmm. and you wrote, I felt like I'd, I'd failed him and that conjured a very specific type of grief, mm -hmm. a grief that was violent and sharp because along with the sadness came a feeling of responsibility, a feeling that somehow I could have prevented his death. So that stopped me because I wasn't aware that there are different types of griefs. Mm -hmm. And you've experienced a few of them. Yeah. Did they all feel very different? Oh, yes. Yes. They all feel very different. I think because, as I described about Ben's death, it felt very much survivor's guilt. Mm. I felt that um, I could have stopped him. You know, and I think a lot of people who are survivors of their loved ones dying by suicide feel that way that you can carry that feeling for the rest of your life, which can be as detrimental as anything. You know, and if I'm being totally honest, I don't know that I've totally forgiven myself for it either. Yes, I've been through a lot of therapy, mm -hmm. but when I think of those moments, I still think, what if I'd answered the phone? What if I hadn't blown him off? What if I could have said something that would have stopped him? You know, and of course, the truth of the matter is that maybe I would have delayed him a day, maybe a week, maybe a couple of years, but would, have, would he have eventually done it anyway? You know, and how arrogant and selfish of me also to think that somebody else's choice is mine to make, you know? And so it's a complicated grief because on one hand, I'm angry at him still for making that choice. Mm -hmm. I feel guilty about not doing maybe something that could have saved him even for one day. I feel sad that my survival and my successes aren't his, that he didn't live to enjoy that. What if that was just a moment in time? What if in two years he had been able to come out of the depression he was in or to have received medication? You know, it's like, it's a complicated thing. Yeah. And it's different from the grief I felt when my daughter died, you know, which is a mother's grief is very, very different. It's a grief of complete and utter failure. And that is a grief that, hurts in a different way because 
you're imagining what and who the person would have been had they survived if you had just done better. You know, and so these are, they're very different type of griefs. And that's why I am always pausing when people want to compare grief. You know, it's like my own griefs are separate from each other. How would I be able to compare your grief to mine or the other? You know, or in the process of promoting my book and, you know, having lots of conversations with people, whether it's like this or it's in a grocery store or at the airport, mm-hmm. you know, and, and if somebody says, oh, but I haven't suffered what you suffered. And I'm like, why would you compare? You know, it's like, I'm not belittling your grief. We all go through it. And so the grief that you feel about your heartbreak, a breakup, or the grief you feel about your father passing away, or the grief you feel about a pet. Mm-hmm. I am not going to compare our griefs. They, it's grief. And so we have to be able to address it. We have to be able to look at it. You have to be able to live with it. Not get through it, not get over it, because I don't believe any of those things. You don't? No, absolutely not. So the healing is, uh, is it's not really a destination. No, I think healing is described terribly, you know, because we think healing is you're over it. Healing is that it no longer hurts. Healing is that, you know, the subject or the thought comes across your mind and you're still smiling. That's not healing. Healing is understanding that the weight is going to be with you. Healing is growing new muscles so it doesn't burden you and stop you from moving. But that grief is still with you. You know, I'm carrying a lot of it. This idea that you can put it down and keep moving is a lie. And even that's what's stopping a lot of people from being able to live their lives completely. Because you think you're failing because you haven't been able to put that grief down. Because somebody told you that in order to heal, you had to put the grief down. Why? It's not possible. It's not possible. You're just carrying with you. So guess what? I have bigger biceps because of the number of grief I'm carrying. So I'm able to just keep moving because I have bigger muscles to do it with. Mm-hmm. Not because I put the bag down not because I put the grief down. And so I'm able to live a better life because I recognize that versus thinking, oh my goodness, I failed at my grief. Do you feel like from all the conversations you've had with people that you met throughout the year um, after writing your book, do you feel like a lot of people experience that, that kind of frustration or feeling that they just can't reach that point? Correct. That's the number one question I get. How did you get over it? How are you able to move beyond it? How are you able to become successful even though this has happened to you? It's the most mind-boggling thing because we've been so lied to about what grief and healing is. We think that you're supposed to gloss it over and somehow it's not supposed to hurt anymore. When Eve's birthday comes around, I still cry. Mm. She would have been 16 this coming July. I think about that all the time. Like, oh my goodness, I've been getting her a car, probably terrified of her on the road. You know, I wonder if she would have had a sense of humor or if she'd been a really serious person. What eye color would she have? Would they be lighter than mine? Would she have a red tint like Lael has? I just, I just wonder. You know, and so my point is that, like, we think that healing means that you'll never consider those questions or somehow it doesn't come with tears. Mm-hmm. My point is that I recognize and I know it's coming. I know it's with me. And I am better able to process because I don't think I'm failing at my grief. I'm actually celebrating what could have been 
and who she could have been. And in that, I find some peace. You're saying celebrating what could have been. I think that's a very difficult human experience. Yeah. I think a lot of people are not able to reach there. Mm. I don't know why. I guess because you have to hold the both of this duality, right? The duality of yeah. life. Have you experienced this? This could have been that way. Yeah. yeah. Well, because I think the idea of what could have been feels like you're missing something. Mm-hmm. You know, but even in that specific experience about Eve, one of the most jarring ideas for me around her life is actually the fact that I could not have had her and Lael in the same lifetime because her due date and when I conceived Lael were overlapped. And so I couldn't conceive Lael before Eve would have been born if she'd been born on time. So it would not be possible for them both to exist. And so who would I choose if I had the choice? It's an impossibility. Mm. And so consider that for your life in like the sliding doors. Yeah. That sometimes the two experiences aren't possible. And so what do you choose? Would you regret the other because you have the present? I hope not. It's possible to celebrate both things. It's possible for me to celebrate the fact that I had her, didn't keep her, but I had her, and also celebrate Lael and be excited about the life that she lives. And so sometimes in considering what could have been, we often feel so much sadness because you think that, oh, I'm missing something. But think about the thing that you have because you didn't have that thing. And so when I am sad about Eve and I cry about her, I'm also celebrating her life but knowing that I don't regret it because I have Lael. And so how could I be regretful of her life when I'm Mm -hmm. celebrating the person who is here? And both of those things cannot exist at once. And so for many of us, our grief is like that. You You had a breakup and therefore you didn't get to the altar the way that you thought you were going to. But along that way, did you meet somebody else who's actually the love of your life? Or did you meet yourself? Girl, <laughs> a whole word. Exactly. Or did you meet yourself? Mm, write that down. That's fantastic. We have it on video. Fantastic. Even better. <laughs> I knew that I'm going to be sitting here and absolutely like I'm going to be journaling after this session. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, you mentioned how the take it one day at a time. Did you feel like you had a hard time with processing all these other emotions that came with grief, because Mm. I think that with these experiences is something that's so out of our control. And I'm thinking of even people like you, like you seem like you have everything under control (laughs) and just, you know, meeting these things throughout life, these experiences, these events, Mm -hmm. I feel like it just brings to the surface such huge amount of anger and resentment Mm. if it's towards the situation, towards, you know, a certain person, towards Mm -hmm. life itself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there was an example where when you um, lost Eve, Mm -hmm. when Peter had to make the choice, right? If he's saving your life or Mm -hmm. he's saving baby Eve's life and Mm -hmm. he chose your life. Mm -hmm. And the anger that came into your relationship based on that decision. Yeah. How do you proceed after 
meeting that kind of anger mm. in life? Mm. Like, how did it change your dynamic in your relationship? But also, how did it change your relationship with the world in general, yeah. carrying that? Oh, man. That's well, a lot of questions. Yeah, <laughs> but, but you know what? Um, you're right that there's so much complexity in grief or in our emotional state whenever we're going through a challenge or going through loss, going through trauma. And I would say that, you know, even one step further, it wasn't so much even my anger or beyond my anger at Peter, anger at the doctors, anger at my own body, anger at so many things. I was angry at God. Mm. And that seemed like blasphemy. <laughs> you know, it's like my whole life I had been raised as a Christian person, pray to God, obey God, reverent God. And then here I am like, God? Oh, I called God some pretty ugly names that I won't repeat now. <laughs> but in my anger, that's where I was. Yeah. I've been angry at God a lot <laughs> in my life. You know, just wondering why. Why did that thing have to happen? Did it really need to happen? Like, did, I, did I really need to suffer that in order to teach me the lesson? And can I please not get any more lessons this way? You know, is that, is that okay? Teach you know? me gently. Yes, please, Lord. Teach me gently. That's the prayer. Mm-hmm. But the truth of the matter is that maybe that is not the way I need to learn. You know, it's like all of us have different learning styles. All of us have different ways of loving. You know, take the love languages and all of that. You know, you probably know yours. Everybody does, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's like we're not all the same. And so how does my anger at a situation or at a person evolve me? It's not static. It's, I feel like it's an emotion, just honestly looking at certain people that I've met in my life mm -hmm. that went through experience. By no means this is like a judgment because I don't know how I would navigate that. Yeah. But, you know, they, you can get stuck there. Yeah. It can get comfortable yes. in a very scary way. Yeah. And then you start projecting it into every aspect of your life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, because you have enough kind of, you know, reasons yeah. to carry that. Of course. But that's, that's my whole point about mm -hmm. like growing the muscle yeah. to carry, because again, we think that things have phases and therefore it's like, oh, you know, the, I remember reading about the 12 stages of grief or something, whatever mm -hmm. the number of stages there are, which again, <laughs> I'm like, formula. literally, I want to <laughs> roll my eyes. Exactly. More rules to follow. It's like, oh, you know, first your sadness and then your anger and then your resentment. And I'm like, what if I'm feeling all of them at the same time? Or what if I never get to resentment? What if I never get to anger? What if I'm just stuck at the sadness and was stuck in the sadness for 12 years? What about that? You know, and so again, it's like we think that we're supposed to follow some order. I sit here and I'm telling you, I am still angry. I'm still really pissed off. Mm -hmm. Even though, again, I recognize that both things can't be true. If Peter had lived, I probably wouldn't have moved to L.A. Mm -hmm. If Eve had lived, I wouldn't have had Lael. If Ben had lived, perhaps I would have never left Connecticut. There's so many things. And so while I am angry at those traumas, those losses that have taught me lessons that sometimes I'm like, again, Lord, I didn't need to know this lesson. <laughs> Please, I could have learned it a different way. You know, let me eat some more broccoli or something. But even in that I understand that my anger is a part of what fuels me. You know, it's like in writing this book, a lot of publishers wanted me to write the how to be a corporate badass book. 
They want me to write like, how do you succeed in corporate world? Be a boss chick. Oh you my know? God, I'm so and happy I'm like, you listened to your intuition on this one. Th thank you very much. Because guess what? They have the math. Mm -hmm. like, oh, you know what? You're going to be a bestseller if you write this book. It's going to come out at this time and we're going to make sure it makes this list. And we're going to make sure it makes that list and win this award and that award. Because you're unique, you're a unicorn. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that all sounds really good. But you know what, though? I can't write that book because how would you know what it took for me to get to that point if you don't know this? If you don't know my grief, you don't know my anger, if you don't know my sadness, you don't know my regret. It is why I am the way I am. You see, that teacher did teach you a lesson. You're showing the process first. <laughs> Look, it, that's true. It's a good point. A very good point. But you know, my, my point is that there's yeah. not, not a... Um, a place in my psyche where I feel like, oh, well, what am I going to do with my anger? I got to let it go. Mm -hmm. I've got to heal from my anger. No, my anger is a part of me. It is what fuels me. And so when I am in a situation where I'm like, oh, this is a waste of my time, it's my anger that shows up, that gets me out. Mm. It's not some peace. It's not me being like, oh, you know what? I just want a more soft girl life. It's not that. It's, it's my anger. I'm just like, why am I wasting my time here? Like, this is, this is some bullshit. Excuse me. You know? Yeah. But this is, this is, get me out of here. And that's, the anger is what then fuels me. What, it's what makes me impatient about life. You're throwing all these emotions that I feel like until now we've been just programmed to feel, look at them negatively. Mm. And I'm just sitting here and you're like redefining all of them to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope, I hope that's what's happening because I don't know why we should feel so badly about all these emotions. They're gifts. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like your sadness can be a tool to make you even greater than who you are. Yeah. Instead of feeling like, oh, like I'm just, I need to get over. I need to be happy. As if that's like the only thing that will inspire you to live a great life. Bose, I feel like you're going to be ruining some industries over here because I feel like <laughs> the whole wellness industry is all how to be happy, how to be oh calm, how gosh, to be not I'm angry, how you. to be... Exactly. That's when my anger shows up. <laughs> I'm going to strangle some of those people. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, happiness is not the goal. Uh, happiness is not the goal. You know what? It's funny. I feel like the past two years, happiness became like a trigger word for me. Anything that has happy in it, I'm like, mm-mm. <laughs> You're like, get it away from Hives, me. Hives, rashes. Hives, Yes. Because yes. I do feel it's this um, destination that is just uh, we will never get to and stay yeah. in. Yeah. I prefer the word contentment. Yes. Yes, exactly. That's a great word. Mm -hmm. Because you know what? Happiness is like, oh, maybe it's like the sugar in the cookie, you know, that you have. But, but you enjoy the cookie, no problem. But mm -hmm. you also like the lasagna. Mm -hmm. and the savory feeling that you get from that and how full it makes you. Or you like the wine and that little buzz it gives you. You know, mm -hmm. like there's there's many ways to get to contentment. Exactly. Happiness is not the only one. We're redefining happiness over here. <laughs> at what point, at, uh, at one point, you were a single mother mm -hmm. raising a toddler. Mm -hmm. You were, you had this full-time high-performance job. Mm -hmm. You were supporting your mother. She mm -hmm. was going through her own health crisis. Mm -hmm. And it was the time when Peter um, had his diagnosis mm -hmm. and his health started declining. Yeah. You know, you were, you mentioned earlier that there were so many times during your life where you were like, why me? Mm. When I read all of this, and then at some point you also 
to kind of top it off, I think you lost your job. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I got fired. How does... <laughs> How do you get, get like, see the, the light of day? How yeah. do you just see that? How do I, what's next? Yeah. Again, another euphemism that I hate, because why not? That's what we keep talking about. <laughs> it's when people say, um, you know, see the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. And it's so silly, you know, because it's like, think about the darkness, okay? All the things that you just described are dark. There is no happiness, there's mm -hmm. no excitement, no joy in any of that. All that is very, very dark. And so what somebody is telling you is they're like, oh, well, look towards the future for that thing over there that is going to be happy and joyful. Just get through this. Have you ever been in like darkness, like real darkness, you know, where like you can't see? Mm -hmm. That is what those griefs and traumas feel like. It's so heavy and so bleak. Like you don't feel like getting up and doing anything. But if you think about this idea that like I've got to reach out for this thing in the future, I think sometimes it's a misnomer that that's actually what's going to get you up. The problem is the distance between here and there. That's the problem we have. It's not that like, oh, there's a light there. I'm sure there's a light there. How in the hell am I going to get there? Exactly. Because in the darkness, there's so many things that are in front of you that you might stub your toe on or bump your knee on or maybe something sharp over there is going to cut you. And so therefore you are more timid. You're walking gingerly to try and get to the light. You're like looking over there and just like, ah, I don't know, maybe something's going to, boogeyman's going to come out and grab me. You know, I can't see. There's darkness here. And so it makes you timid. The difference for me is that I no longer believe in the light at the end of the tunnel. I believe in the light I'm carrying. I believe in the one that I have. Because I can then shine it down, look around me, make sure I'm stepping in the right direction. I can step more boldly. It's not going to go out because I caused it. What about that light down there? What if all of a sudden it goes out? What if there's another trauma? Knocks me off course. Because I'm not so naive to mm -hmm. think that bad things don't happen to good people. I'm a good person. Bad things have happened to me. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. But if I depend on that light that is way down there and something else happens and snuffs it out, then I'm in complete darkness. How will I survive that? What was that light for you during that darkness oh, in your well, life? But that's the whole thing is that it is light that I created. I wanted to find the joy for myself. Mm. Choose it. I wanted to have the power of doing that. I wasn't going to leave it up to some supernatural thing or somebody else to create the joy for me. You know, even now when, you know, I, you know, have friends or people who are just like, oh, I just wish love would find me. I wish that, you know, like my life would change. And I'm just like, well, you know, like you could probably do that. You know, like, why are we giving the power out to somebody else? Mm. You know, it's like, you should be able to manifest that and create it. What steps are you actually taking in order to get it? And so for me today, like my life isn't without fear. It's not without the idea that something terrible could happen. I'm sure it could, but I am choosing my joy every day. That is the light that I'm carrying. When you see me, you see this passion, you see this excitement I have, it's because I chose it today. I woke up and made an active choice today that said, I'm going to go see my homegirl. We're going to have a conversation. I'm going to come out with my boobs all on display. <laughs> and feel confident about that. 
I'm going to smile. I'm going to enjoy today because there's so many exciting things that could happen. Mm. Those are choices. I could have chosen to stay in bed. I could have chosen to call you and say, you know what? I'm just not feeling up to it today. I don't feel like talking about this today. It's mm -hmm. too painful. Or right before we started this conversation, you said, is there anything you don't want to talk about? I could have said, I don't want to talk about any of it. Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about the NFL playoffs. And you've been like, oh, God, I don't know. I didn't oh, do yeah. my research for that. I would run real you know what I mean? <laughs> but my point is that the light that I have chosen is just that. I mm -hmm. have chosen it. I'm not looking at the end of the tunnel for that light that somebody else has lit for me. Um, I have this next thing mm -hmm. that I've highlighted. Mm -hmm. It's a complicated gift knowing the end is coming. Mm. I couldn't continue reading. I was like stuck on that mm. sentence for mm. a while. Tell me, um, tell me about that feeling. Oh, you know, this is another area where um, the comparative grief thing has happened a few times where people are like, well, you know, at least you knew it was coming. You could say your goodbyes. You could resolve your issues. You could... Fill in the blank on any number of things. It's like, what happens when somebody's gone all of a sudden? You don't have that. And like, again, we don't need to compare the grief because it is a complicated gift. Knowing the end is coming is a terrible thing. Knowing that every day is the last time you're going to do X thing is a terrible way to live. Knowing that perhaps you need to be in a rush to finish things because you don't know if you'll have the opportunity to do it again. It's a terrible thing. You know, it's like there's a complication in that. It's not just about tying off loose ends and saying, okay, let's have the conversation about that last fight we had and try to resolve it. While that's lovely and that's a nice thought, it is also not entirely possible <laughs> to always do all of that. And there will be some things that you leave unsaid, the things that you leave undone, the things that you'll leave that you should have said, that you should have done. And so the complication of it is that knowing that it's coming doesn't actually inspire you to do anything different. It is a choice to do something different. And that mm -hmm. is why every day, regardless of what you know will happen tomorrow or the next day, I am asking you to make a choice. Because yes, we knew the end was coming, but we didn't know exactly when. And we had to make choices to have the tough conversations, choices to make decisions that could impact the future. We could also make a choice to ignore it. I'm like, you know what? Let's just, everybody just eat some ice cream. We just pretend that this is not happening. Go into denial. I'm not even saying that that's a bad thing because then that's your choice. Yeah. You decide to say, oh, you know what? We're just going to just drink all the wine possible and come what may, we'll be drunk when it gets here. So what is the gift there? The gift is that you have the choice. Mm -hmm. I understood it. Got it. That it is not something that is just happening to you. You're not a victim of the end. You're not the victim of the end of your story. You're not the one who's sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, all these things have befallen me. You have a choice. You can choose what it is that you want to do. You can choose your reaction. You can choose how you get up the next day or not. And yes, there are some days when I choose not to do any of the things. Again, that's the gift. Yeah. In the complexity of understanding what the end is, is that you actually still have a choice to do some things or not. 
to complete some things you forgot to do, some things that you wanted to do or not. That is a gift. Was that the seed that sparked this life of urgency mm. that you lead? I mean, the book is The Urgent Life. And I feel like it's a whole yeah. you know, way of living. Yeah. I think it's a compounding idea for mm -hmm. me. You know, that throughout my entire life, there have been a lot of things that have caused me to now be urgent. You know, it is why when I first started writing the book, it was just going to be about my husband's life, the end of his life and our relationship in it. But then I realized that there were so many things that I had to go back to when I was five and tell you about that thing, which then inspired this new urgency, you know, or mm -hmm. like something that happened in college that I need to tell you about so you would understand why it is I had to make the choice I made, you know, that all of the experiences that I'm having are compounding on each other and making me more and more and more urgent in my life. And I recognize the fact that, you know, now you look at somebody and, you know, when they pass away and they're 99, someone is like, oh, they live such a long, fruitful, amazing life. But do you know that that to be true? Did they? You know, or they pass away when they're 32 and they're like, oh, the life was cut short. Well, how do you know that they didn't do everything that they were supposed to do while here? And it is the way I want to live. I want to make sure that regardless of the age I am when mm -hmm. this journey is over, I want to have lived the best life that I could have, that there is nothing that I'm leaving undone. My point is that, like, look, I have lots of goals. I still have lots of goals now. You know, it's like I want to live to 150 maybe. You know, mm -hmm. but the point is that like, should I go sooner than that? I want to be very happy with the life that I lived. I want other people to look at my life and say, oh man, that girl lived, you know? And so now when I hear that, when people are like, oh my, I can't even believe your life. I'm like, yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Because it is a choice. I'm making that choice every day. I'm living completely and fully and urgently, mm. even though I have more things I want to do. I can look back at my life right now and say, I'm really living this thing. I think that so many of us don't realize or can really wrap our heads around the concept of time. Because when mm. you're young, it just feels like there's so much oh, of yeah. it, right? Infinite. Don't rush. Take your time. Especially now. I feel like right now we're living in this era of like slow down. Everyone is growing chickens and making sourdough <laughs> breads. And, you know, it's all about, yeah. you know, yeah. that... Little life. I'm not going to yeah. sing it. Oh my God, the TikTok song is stuck in my head. Oh no. But uh, I feel like we're like yo-yoing. We moved from being this, you know, the girl bus era where everyone's go, whatever. You right. got into this burnout. Now we're going, no, no, no. You have to really live. You have right. to be present. So how yeah. do we redefine this like yeah. urgent life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's, again, like we're, we keep redefining things, right? Because urgency to me isn't about time. It's not, it really isn't. It's not about mm -hmm. the speed of things. It's not like you have to do accomplish the thing tomorrow. I'm not saying that. Yeah. My urgency is centered on self. You know, just realigning my world so that the end of the statement, urgent life, like that life is mine. And so I'm living in a way that it's going to deliver all of the things I want to deliver. It doesn't matter if the goal I have is going to take me three years to accomplish. Mm. The urgency is making sure that that actually is the goal, that I'm actually going to get there, that I'm not going to be swayed by this or that distraction that's going to stop me in the way and not allow me to get to my goal. 
That is the urgency with which I'm living. So that when I'm in a job or I'm in a relationship or I'm in any decision which is going to throw me off course from the thing I want to do, that I'm actually not allowing that to happen. That's the urgency in my life. I'm urgent about the decisions I'm making, which will get me to the thing I want to do. I love that. So it's not that like I have to accomplish everything in the next four months. It's using the word in a completely different way. Yes, I'm urgent about me. Yeah. I'm urgent about the things I'm doing. I'm urgent about the way I'm living. And that, and therefore I refuse to let other people get in my way. Yes. Right. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm a mother. Um, Mm -hmm. We talked about our kids earlier. And when I was going through the book, there was this part where you were talking about Peter's death and Lael. 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 It's a Hebrew word? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I speak Hebrew, so it's... Okay, well, there you go. Okay, I love that. Um, you wrote here, I still wonder as I watch Lael grow and remember her quiet acceptance of Peter's death so long ago, when the kicking and screaming will finally come. Mm. Will it be when she suffers her first heartbreak and just wants her daddy? Will it be when she has children of her own and realizes they will never know their grandfather? Oh, mm. I cried mm. so much reading this because mm. it's one thing to go through the process with yourself. Yeah. But it's a whole other thing to go through the process with yourself and try to navigate that process for your child. Yes. What was your, how did you even go about Mm. dealing with such grief and Lael? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a really big one because um, I think one of the angers that I have also is that I will never understand her grief. You know, like as a mother, and you know this, it's like you want to be able to understand everything so that you can help them. You know, that's our whole job. (laughs) Help them navigate life. And I will never understand her grief. You know, because my father lives. I'm a daddy's girl. He's been around my whole life, has navigated with me, has made me mad, has inspired me, all the things. And he's still here. You know, she doesn't know him and she will never, ever know him, regardless of how hard I try. Remember a couple of years ago, I don't know what inspired it, but she came to me and she said, I don't remember what my dad's voice sounds like. And I, I mean, it was like, right, it felt like a train had hit me. I was just like, whoo, okay. And so I go into my phone. I'm like, sir, because I have voicemails from him still, you know, I'm like looking for old videos, anything. And I compile them and I'm like, okay, push play. There he is. That That's what he sounded like, mm. you know, but it's like, how will I ever be able to anticipate everything that she's going to need? I will never know it completely. And even when she is struggling for a male perspective or, you know, she's just like, my mom doesn't know, you know, she gets to that point. I won't be able to help her with that. And that for me was one of the things that made me so mad at God, at the universe, at our situation was that like, I'm never going to be able to help her with any of that. I'll be able to do the best I can 
but it will never be complete. And so in her own grief, she's going to have to figure out how to manage it for herself. And I'm hopeful that the tools and the example I'm setting will help her navigate, but I will never know it completely. Mm. And that is its own grief. And that's actually something I had to let go. It was very hard for us as parents to let things go. I was about, about to that. ask, yeah. How yeah. do you how did that acceptance even it, it is just that. You have to accept it. I had to accept it. That there are going to be some things I will not be able to help her with. I will not be able to navigate for her. And knowing that I will have to try and give her as many tools to be able to do that. And by the way, I think that also helps me with a lot of the fear I have about leaving her in the world by herself. You know, that like as her only parent, Mm. I struggled with that a lot. Had a lot of anxiety about that. That like, you know, I go on a business trip, I get on a flight, like what happens if I don't come back? You know, she's left here by herself. Mm. And that caused me incredible anxiety and fear. But the idea of being able to give her enough tools so that should that happen, she'll be able to navigate the world is the only solace I have. And that is what I feel like a lot of us are missing when we're thinking about our fear or anxiety over grief or like the potential loss, where it's like we're not thinking about the tools that potentially we can give, which would alleviate some of that. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that I'm still not fearful. Every time I leave the house, I tell her how much I love her. Every time I'm going on a trip, if she's not awake, I write her a little note and leave it on the pillow next to her. You know, because I don't know. But at the same time, my hope is that what I am leaving her, the experiences I'm depositing, and then sometimes the more tactical things that I'm doing will give her enough tools to be able to survive. And so that means that, yes, I had to write my will. A lot Mm -hmm. of us are afraid to do that. Mm -hmm. I wrote my will. I had my conversations with the people I'd want her to be her guardian. Should I not be here? I set up the trust. So that when she's 18, she gets something. When she's 21, she gets something. When she's 25, she gets something. You know, it's like I, I did the practical things as well as the emotional deposits that I hope I'm giving her should something happen where I'm not here. And it sounds like you were having hard conversation with her. And I'm sure, yeah. like you sat down, you went through it. Because I think that with losing a parent and children like people are trying to shield them right they're trying to kind of try to alleviate that Mm -hmm. um and that creates its own oh yes oh oh that i mean we could spend hours on that (laughs) (laughs) right because that is what you also want to do you want to shield the people you love from the things that will hurt them Mm -hmm. but sometimes that's the biggest mistake you can make because then you're not allowing them the fullness of their own experience And for Lael, even though she was four at the time Peter died, I used the big words. I used the real words. When I was sad or afraid or lonely or anxious, instead of hiding those things from her, I let her see it. Because I also want her to be able to express her own fear, anxieties, loss, sadness. I don't want her to ever feel like she had to to hide them. You know, because how else would I be able to help her navigate them if she's hiding them behind the closet because she feels like I never experienced them? You know, it's like she needs to know that all of these things are part of the experience and that even though I feel these things, I'm still able to be joyful. I'm still able to move forward in my life. I'm still able to get a big job. I'm still able to fall in love. I'm still able to do all of those things. 
And so how will she know that if she doesn't ever see me go through it? That's beautiful. You were talking earlier about prioritizing yourself. And um, I think that, you know, being self-centered has like a weird negative connotation (laughs) to it. There's something I heard you say that really stuck with me. No one is above you in your life, including your child. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Mm. Can you talk to me more about that? Yeah. Well, because, and I've said this a lot of times too, where I'm like, you know, we probably don't want to admit it, but a lot of us out here are walking around as consequences of somebody's unfulfilled life. Ooh. Your mom, mm. your auntie, your boss, somebody in your life has not been fulfilled and is taking it on you. How many of us have heard a parent say, well, I didn't get a chance to do this thing because you were here, so you go and do it because I didn't get a chance to. The horror. Literally every child that grew up in an immigrant household. This is it. <laughs> but, that, but, but, we, yeah. but the problem is that that is its own trauma. Mm. That is its own pain. I refuse to have my daughter be the consequence of the traumas I have faced in my life. I don't want her to ever grow up feeling like I didn't live the life I wanted to and therefore I'm taking it out on her. Now, look. Your mom or whomever's mom, they think that that sounds like love. It's not love. So true. It's not love. The sacrifice you made was not love. It was selfish of you. You should have been more adamant about living a joyful life, a fulfilled life. And therefore, you could actually be the embodiment of that joy and that fulfillment and show me the example of how to do that. Yet you stayed in relationships that weren't healthy for you. You didn't go after the dream that you should have. And yet you take it out on me and tell me it's love. You know, I had a really interesting um, thing that happened between me and my mom. I think a couple of years ago, I had this Mm. job opportunity. I already had, or it was five years ago, I already had two of my boys. Mm. And uh, the job opportunity required me to be in and out for like two months or so. And Mm. it was very different than, you know, what my family was used to. So I was sitting and talking to her about it. And um, she, she said, don't do it. I said, why? Mm. So, well, because I think about how many times I left you to pursue all the things that I wanted to do Mm. when you were still little. And I still live with that guilt. It's Mm. so big. It doesn't let me sleep at night. Mm. And she never shared that with me. Mm. And I just sat there and I told her, are you joking me? That was the (laughs) biggest gift I got because I was so proud to have a mother that was traveling, looking amazing, had an amazing social life, having all these amazing experiences. Like that was a point of joy for me. Mm. And we never had a chance to talk about that. And she spent these last 30 years thinking that she was the worst mother ever. And it's just so beautiful to look at it from that perspective of like you Mm -hmm. choosing yourself is actually such a beautiful roadmap for your child. Yes. And for the world. For the world. Yeah. You know, it's like there are so many people who are living angry lives because they're unfulfilled in the thing they wish they had done. They're taking out their resentment about their own life on all of us. Mm-hmm. You run across them when they are serving you at a restaurant <laughs> or you know, any number of things, right? Yeah, yeah. You come across somebody who is just angry for no reason. 
And a lot of times when, you know, you get bad service or somebody has a sharp word for me, that's the first thing I think of. I think, mm-hmm. oh, my goodness. You know, I say a little prayer, actually. I'm just like, Lord, help them, like, live their fulfilled life. Because that's actually what is driving their anger. And mm-hmm. so I don't want to be that. And so my selfishness is actually just putting myself in the center of my life, making sure that I am accomplishing the things I want to accomplish, making sure that I am happy, making mm-hmm. sure that I am content, mm-hmm. making sure that I am joyful in the things that I'm doing, or that I am taking the risks that you know I want to take to make sure that, I, oh my gosh, am I actually going to do that thing? Like, scary, but let me go ahead and do it. It maybe doesn't work, but it leads me actually to the thing I'm supposed to do. I think I'm a much better human because I'm living a very fulfilled life. You know, maybe that's the title of the next book. <laughs> oh my God, you heard it here first. <laughs> I know, dropping news. <laughs> <Dun, dun, dun. laughs> Honestly, reading the book, it, it feels like you always had a very keen sense of what you're good at and mm. what you're bad at. And I'm even going to focus it on professionally. Mm-hmm. It's something that I felt throughout the book. You just knew. Mm. Is that something that was just instilled in you from the get-go? Is it something mm. you knew? Like a lot of us walk around focusing on what we're not good at oh, and not I being know. able to, you know, get the opportunities because the focus is there. Ugh. But you were just showing up being like, listen, I'm not good at this, but mm. I'm very good at that. <laughs> yeah. Well, Teach you know what? Me. I know, right? Well, that's also been um, a new learning, you know, especially mm-hmm. professionally, because you're right. It's like, look, every business review that you have or like, you know, you're talking to your boss or your investors or whomever, they're going to talk about the ways that you're failing. You know, yes, of course, they'll start off with like, oh, yes, you're good at that. You're good at that. But let's talk about the ways in which you can improve this business. Yeah. You know, it's like everybody's focused on like how to make you better at the thing you're not good at. And for me, it really just became crystal clear that there are just simply some things I'm not good at and being able to accept that, being able to accept the fact that I'm not going to ever be 100% perfect at every single thing that I do, but Mm -hmm. I am a cut above the rest in a few things. And so I'm going to put my energy in the places in which I'm really great and make myself even greater. It doesn't diminish me by not being good at these other things. But why would I waste my time and waste my talent that is over here in trying to get better at this thing when I could be spending my time and talent getting greater at the thing I'm already good at? It just makes logical sense to me. No, you're using common sense. Yeah. But you know, they say common sense is not very It's not common. common. Correct. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. But That's... I'm hoping that it will become more common, that a lot of us will stop wasting our time on things that we're not actually good at, thinking that we're failing when you're actually winning at the things you are good at. When was that clarity came oh. for you. Oh my goodness. Was there like a specific role that you had or in Oh gosh, so many examples. I mean, so I don't even know where to start because perhaps I mean, it could have been even as early as 12 when I moved from Ghana to the US, you know, in mm-hmm. that last big move that we did, meaning that like, you know, I arrived in Colorado Springs and nobody spoke the languages that I'd spoken back home and You know, they thought my English sounded funny. They thought I looked funny. They asked me if I ate monkey brains. You know, there was all kinds of things. But what I understood about pop culture was better than most. You know, that Mm -hmm. like I could understand music and fashion and sports and social dynamics and politics better than almost everybody, better than some of my teachers. 
You know, and so it's like I just leaned into that to make sure that I could make the connections with the friends. And mm-hmm. these people would no longer look at me as like this alien that I could connect because I understood what was going to happen on Sunday night watching football. That Monday morning I could talk about that. And so why am I wasting my time trying to explain to you why Africa is great, why it's the oldest civilization on the planet, why you should actually honor it, why the first woman is actually from Africa, when I could just simply lean in Mm. to this knowledge that you already have that I'm better at than you and connect with you on that point. Hey, you know what? I'll circle back later (laughs) and help you understand why Africa is great. But right now, I need you to understand why I'm great. And because I can connect with you on things that you like, you can't even connect on the things I like. And that has, I think, also helped me in the boardroom. It's helped me in so many different ways mm-hmm. because I recognize the fact that there are so many ways that I connect better than mm-hmm. almost everybody. I can walk into any room and pick up a conversation with almost anybody about a variety of things and because I'm a savant in pop culture. I can remember and recall things that most people can't. And so if you mention something, I can be like, oh, yeah, and pick up the conversation with you. And you may not be able to do that in reverse. And mm-hmm. that is why I think I'm so good at the jobs that I do in the ways that I am in this world, because I can do those things and you can't do what I can do. I love that self-importance. I don't know if that's a term, but I, <laughs> I want it to be a term. Yeah, why not? I love that. Yeah. And I feel like that really helped you trailblaze mm. all these roles and all these things that you uh, picked up in your professional career. But I wish we all would. That's the thing is that we all are good at something. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I feel so sad when somebody feels like they're not good at anything. I'm like, no, it's just because you've been told that you aren't good at a few things. And so you spend so much time and energy focused on the things that you're not good at, that you didn't even remember the things that you were good at. So why not do that? But that's, I mean, that really is taking it back to the education system and, yeah. you know, inside the home and yeah. all those things. The nurture. The thing that, yeah. Look, the way I talk to Leal now, I mean, you would not, well, maybe you can't imagine the number of people who are like, oh my goodness, what are you going to do? Your mom is like award-winning marketing business executive. Like, how are you going to follow in her footsteps? I'm like, why would she want to do that? We're not the same person. You know, she has her own gifts. Mm-hmm. She has her own things that she's really good at. So I want her to lean into that. I want her to feel the freedom to be able to pursue those things and get really good at that. And so who cares if she ever walks into a boardroom? That's not her life. Maybe it's not. Maybe she's an incredible artist and she should do that instead. Mm, I love that. <laughs> okay. This is my last quote for you. <laughs> okay. This one, I want, I want you to break this down for me. Okay. It's dreams that hold you back, not because they're too ambitious, but because they often aren't lofty enough. Mm. They go only as far as your imagination can take you. Mm-hmm. It's intuition that lets you tap into the unseen. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Well, because you know what? I, I find it so interesting. Like dreams are such a wonderful thing. You know, you like you wake up from a dream and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, you feel warm and fuzzy or it's telling you like this thing that you've imagined and you can see yourself in it. Mm-hmm. You know, when, you, when you're dreaming or like daydreaming and you're considering like the possibility of this thing, but that's only because that's as far as your imagination takes you. You have no idea about the things you do not know. 
You have no idea. You can't even imagine it. And so your intuition is what takes you there. Again, just circling back to 80-year-old me, she knows so many things that I have no idea about. Yo, the things that she has seen, like 20-year-old me versus almost 47-year-old me has no idea what is coming. Like, oh my gosh, would never have imagined it. 20-year-old me didn't even know there was such a career as marketing. Mm. So if I had just stuck with the dreams I had as a 20-year-old, I wouldn't be sitting here with you right now. I wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. I wouldn't have been chosen number one on Forbes list. I wouldn't have any of those things because I would only dream the things that I was capable of thinking at the time. And so my belief is that actually tapping into that intuition, tapping into what my destiny could be, was actually 47-year-old me speaking to 20-year-old me. Mm. Is 80-year-old me speaking to 47-year-old me. And if I consider that, I am so much more confident in my intuition. I don't dream anymore. I don't. I don't sit there and daydream about, oh my God, what if this happened? No, it's too small. Well, that's what reading this kind of left me with. I spent a couple of days going mm. through, you know, all these dreams or goals that I have. And I started questioning myself, is this big enough? Maybe it's not. It probably is not. Probably is not. It's only the things that you've imagined. Yeah. And it's not big enough. Bigger. <laughs> if the next five years is a chapter mm -hmm. in your life, what is this chapter about? Well, I mean, this kind of sums up what we're talking about mm -hmm. because I don't know. I don't know. My experiences thus far have far exceeded anything I could have dreamed for myself ever. And so who am I to consider what that is going to be in the next five years? I have to be open to what the universe is telling me, what my destiny is telling me, what my intuition is telling me. Mm -hmm. I could get a call tomorrow that changes the trajectory of my life. And I'm open to that. So you're writing the book, but we still don't know the title. Yes. Okay. That's right. I love that. <laughs> I'll be waiting for the title Fantastic. announcement. And I'll be back. <laughs> Thank you so much, Buzz. This you was so much. really wonderful. Uh, you are everything I knew you would be no. and some. I, so I appreciate kind. your time. Thank you. So Thank you. Thank you. This is great. Uh, can you tell where the audience can find you? Yes, 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 yes. Well, on all social media platforms, the name is right, Badass Bose. Done. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for watching this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't miss my newest episode right here. And if you're listening to the podcast on Apple or Spotify, please go and leave a review with your biggest takeaway. I love reading your thoughts. And if you have any suggestions for guests or topics, you can leave them in the comment section. And always, always remember, you are not alone.